said, just have to do that. I love when we get to pray for people. It's such a privilege, isn't it? When we get to pray for the body of Christ and send them out. All right, so we are in week three of our Jeremiah series, and Jason has uh, charged me with continuing down the track to see what Jeremiah has for us today. And, uh, okay, so let's just pray for me while we're at it. Lord, (laughs) may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. If I make any mistakes, Lord, correct them. Because I only want your truth to be known. Amen. All right. So from the beginning in the garden, Adam and Eve uh, were told by God what was required of them. There's this back and forth communication pattern um, that emerges right from the garden. And it tell, basically God tells us what to do. And then it's up to Adam and Eve to figure it out. Right? To either choose to obey or not. They have a choice. Um, so God tells Adam and Eve, you can have anything in the garden but this one thing. And then they have a choice to follow or not follow. Sorry, I don't know how to do this so that I'm not like, I'm okay? All right. I need someone in the, uh, you know, just to tell me you're okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, God tells them all in the garden except one thing. And you know how the story ends. They decide to not follow along. And within the Old Testament prophetic writings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and many others, we see this penitential pattern emerge in how God and man relate to one another through communication of a prophet. So the penitential pattern is this. And we're assuming that God has already told us what we're supposed to do, but the pattern begins when the community sins... God gives them a warning, usually through the prophet, and community has a choice to respond, and then God acts based on that response. So it's like this back and forth pattern. So there can be a positive response, right? Man or the community decides, I'm going to turn away from what I'm doing and go towards God, or humanity can choose to just continue doing what they're doing and ignore what God is saying. So there can be a positive or a negative. The positive response, if we follow along and do, oh, okay, that's right, God, you are telling us what to do, we're going to go in that way, God responds with salvation, with restoration, with redemption. But... And we decide, yeah, that's nice, God, but we're going to keep going this way. What happens? We see judgment. We see consequences. We see some discipline. So as I read Jeremiah, this pattern reminds me of the time that I was fixated, couldn't get enough of the TV show Super Nanny. Isn't that a great picture? You know, where the children are running amok, they're causing all kinds of trouble, Um, it's chaos and disaster, and kids aren't respectful at all of the parents, they don't respect themselves, they're just all over the place. And Super Nanny spends the length of the episode doing a few things, like establishing clear guidelines. This is what's expected. This is what's going to happen if you don't follow along. 
there are consequences. And then the hardest part of the whole episode, teaching parents how to follow through on the consequences that they've decided. Yeah? That's the hardest part, isn't it? Okay, so we all know that lack of follow-through is like the worst thing, right? It totally undermines your credibility and your authority in your household. If you don't follow through, you, people don't trust you. Your kids don't trust you. So I would watch the parents at the beginning of the show, you know, when they told you the situation, and you're like, no wonder those kids are out of control. There's no follow-through. It always seems obvious to the observer, right? We can see clearly what's going on. People in the middle, mm -hmm. All right, so we all witnessed and participated in bad parenting. Parents are imperfect people, and imperfect people make mistakes, and imperfect parents parent imperfectly. Ooh, try that five times. Imperfect parents parent imperfectly. No expert comes home with you from the hospital and says, game time advice on every situation in life. You have to make it up as you go, right? And these kids have your best and worst traits. Even though earthly parents don't always get it right, we know that parents love their kids, even if they get it right or wrong. Even if it doesn't look like they love their parents at the moment, there are some days where it's like, I don't really like my kids right now. You still love them, even when you don't like them. And you've heard, most likely, that your parents, your parents, are the most important influencers on how you see God. For instance, if you have a parent who is really good at being reactive and angry and any little thing would cause disappointment, you might think God is like that. Or you might have a parent who was always distracted or distanced, aloof, maybe never engaged in your life in the way that you really craved. You may think that God is like that, not interested in who you are or engaged in your life. Right, so as parents, we have this, like, heavy responsibility. But we're imperfect. However, Scripture tells us that God is not like that. God is not earthbound. He's not imperfect. And if you have a misinformation, a misguided view of God, Scripture can tell you the right version. All right, so one thing that stood out to me at my time in Jeremiah is that God is a lot like Super Nanny, or Super Nanny is a lot like God. Our Heavenly Father communicates over and over exactly what he requires of his children. He says what behaviors lead to peace and what behaviors lead to chaos. He tells us what we've done to breach the con contract or the covenant and how to get back into alignment. God is a good communicator. God is patient. He is kind. His heart's for obedience and restoration. But eventually, if his kids don't respond in the healthy way that benefits them, God follows through. God isn't a bad parent who's reactive at the slightest mistake and unleashes his wrath. If you're in Jeremiah, you know he pleads with the people for tw over 20 years to get back on track. 
He's also not a parent who's all talk and no action. Oh, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. See, I got an amen back there. God is very engaged in what's going on with us and for our good. That's why we can sing a song like, it's, He's a good, good father, right? It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. Right? We can sing that song because it's true. And if you have trouble worshiping in that song, there might be something there with your own parents that still needs some work. Because if you can fully worship singing, it's a good, good father. God, you are a good, good father. That's the starting point of a good relationship. So we have this penitential pattern in Jeremiah in which God tells the people what their sin is and how to fix it. And Jeremiah publicizes it for all to hear. Ample warnings given. And then the time comes for consequences to be actualized. And God, who had protected Israel from her enemies for generations allows his enemies to sweep through the promised land and take over. I can't help but thinking about the prodigal son, you know, that Jesus says in, in the New Testament, where the prodigal son decides, I want to leave, and the father doesn't want him to leave. In fact, last week, Jason talked about how when we are disobedient, it breaks God's heart, because we have a father. It hurts your heart as a parent when your kids disobey. So we have this father who who's told by his son, I want to leave you. I'm not interested in a relationship with you. I want to do my own thing. And the father lets him go. And he knows I can't force him to stay. I was just thinking about Temple and Villanova going back to campus, right? And my Facebook feed is full of parents saying, I have cried all the way home. Right? They don't want their kids to leave. It's so painful. But the father lets him go to follow his own desires in breaking of the relationship, even if it's to his own demise. Friends, God will not force you to follow him. <laughs> you have a choice. And isn't that the great mystery? That Jesus paid it all just so you could either choose to follow or not. He did it regardless of how you responded, just so that you have the choice. Such a weight, isn't it? Wow. Because he's such a good father. So, Israel and Judah decided to go their own way. They did not listen to Jeremiah. And God applied the communal and ultimate super nanny timeout. Israel finds a large part of her people now in Babylon as servants to a foreign people. And then God gives instructions. So we're going to look at Jeremiah 29 today. If you'd like to look in your Bibles in front of you, it's page 538. I actually have on the side the New King James Version because that's the one I use for my sermon, but um, this one is NIV, so it'll be similar, right? All right, so let's just read through Jeremiah 29, starting at verse 4. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you. Do not listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they who prophesy falsely in you in my name, I have not sent them, says the Lord. So we're going to break that down into three chunks. The first... Build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. If God is telling you to settle in the land by building houses and planting gardens and marrying and have kids, this is not going to be a short time thing. You're going to be there most likely for a pretty lengthy amount of time. The Hebrews were sent there to remember who they were and return to their roots of falling after God while living in a strange place. Have you found yourself in a strange place? How did you stand out? Did you have to examine who you were? I traveled to 17 different countries, and every time I go somewhere outside of America, I am reminded quite well that I am an American. Some of you are not from here and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have a reputation in the world. Not very nice. And I realize even when I'm trying, I mean, they're the basic similarities, right? Like we all smile, we all greet one another, we all do certain things, right? But I sound different. People can tell I'm American just by my voice. Yeah, see, those of you South Africans and Australians, you know, you know. Um, so I sound American, I look American, I act in an American way, I may think like an American, right? I am an American. It's hard for me to know that if I'm always in America. In fact, I didn't realize that until I left. And I was like, whoa, I am so different. And everyone's like, oh, you're American. Yeah, yes I am. Okay, so it's good and bad, right? So if there's no better way to me to figure out that I'm American when I'm not in America, what happens when, as a Christian, how do I know I'm a Christian if I'm not in church? How do I stand out? Do I look different than the world? Do I speak differently than the world? Do I act differently than the world? Do I believe and think differently than the world? I think when everyone was forced to be at home and not go out in the community, who am I left with? <laughs> so in the last couple of years, when things were stripped away of my normal thing, I relearned that I am not of this world. Did you notice that yourself? You are not of this world. So you are going to sound and look, act, and think differently. Scripture says to be in the world, but not of it. An exile to Babylon shook up everything for Israel. Long gone were the comforts of home. 
They had to band together to remember how to fellowship, to remember who they were to find meaning again. They were called to increase, not decrease. Do you think there's wisdom for us here today in Jeremiah? Even if it was 600 B.C., in 2021, we see some guidance. Some of you may still feel scattered and lost in your exile. Some of you have dug in stubbornly and you're like, I'm not budging. I think we can all agree that we're not in the same place we were and things won't return exactly to the way they were before. If you think about it, life's always changing. It's just, it usually takes longer and we have more time to respond and acclimate. I couldn't help but thinking about the time Quincy's like, you need to get a cell phone. No! I don't want people to find me wherever I am. So there's, you know, just look at technology to understand that. Right? The world is always changing. So... In this time, the last 18 months that Donna referenced, which you all know so well, how have you responded? If you feel like God's children stuck in Babylon, in a strange place, foreign and uncomfortable, what would God say to you? I think he would say, remember who you are. Engage in life. Build and invest. It's time to increase. Prophet Graham Cook, I listen to him all the time, says that for believers, every problem is a possibility for upgrade. If Jesus is in you, then so is Jesus in all your circumstances. Jesus is here, he's in us, therefore he is in our circumstances. He's right here. What's he telling you to do? Where is he telling you to plant, or to build, or invest, or increase? I'll leave that for food for thought. Let's look at two. The second thing God says is, Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. Such an interesting verse. The surrounding nations of Israel and Judah are considered enemies. Why would God tell his people, Pray for the nation that just over you and dragged you off in exile, why pray for peace and prosperity for them instead of their demise? I see many in our society, I mentioned, um, I think, Facebook already once, but in your Facebook feeds, don't you see a lot of people that are only interested in criticizing every leader in every place well, all be glad when fill in the blank is done and out. And they've traded their joy and gladness for the when this happens. Does that mean they can't be glad and joyful now? They have to wait? They've traded gladness for sorrow and bitterness and they want to stay there. We all know those people, right? We might be one of those people who like to hold on to our bitterness and our anger. You know, and even when the choice leader, whoever they vote for, whoever they want comes in power, it's not long before discontent comes back. And now it's something else. 
So we as God's people do not want to be in that place of discontent where we're praying for the demise of the government. In fact, God doesn't tell us that at all. He says, seek peace, therefore you will have peace. You may know this song, um, You may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. Right, so when we're doing that, when we see God's way of seeing, we're not fixated on whoever the leader is. God is the most high God. And I'm sure you heard the phrase, it rains equally on the just and the unjust. Anyone outside in the rain gets rained on. Did you notice that it doesn't just rain on you as a Christian or rain on them as a pagan? No. Everyone gets rained on. No matter who you are. And we don't have to look far to see what it looks like with a government of chaos. My heart is broken for people in Afghanistan or Myanmar or Haiti. And it's not just in a faraway place. We've experienced riots and shootings and right here in Philly. God tells us to pray for peace for our own welfare and not to focus on the downfall of the nation we're under lest we be crushed when it falls. So I want to just look at one verse that keeps coming up for me over and over again this year in 1 Timothy. Paul says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I would challenge you today, do you regularly pray for our leaders and the peace of our nation? Author Derek Prince states, that is why Paul said, first of all, before you pray for the sick, the missionaries, the evangelists, even your family, to pray for the government. As we've seen, anyone who criticizes the government is telling the world that he has failed in his prayers. He has not done his job. He has allowed these dark angels to crowd in over the buildings where vital decisions are made that affect not only us, but also the whole kingdom of God. We must not tolerate that invasion of Satan. God, our good and heavenly Father, told us and told the exiles to seek peace and pray for their city. It's such a privilege. Intercession for city, region, state, nation, world. Don't we need it to go well for us so that the gospel can be furthered? We use our right and privilege as children of God so that the, peace, the world will know the peace of Christ. All right, so moving on to the third and final. I have a lot to say, sorry. <laughs> Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you. Do not listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. The exiles had just experienced a communal trauma. Part of them 
fell to murder, to pestilence, and to famine. And the rest were carted off to a foreign place. Life was full of uncertainty and discomfort. And we would not blame them for whining and complaining and being frustrated and wanting to go back home and wanting to return to normal. I'm sure we've all felt that way recently. Yet God says, watch and discern. Be cautious against the deception. And look at this phrase, dreams that you cause to be dreamed. So during the exile, there were prophets who were telling the people of God, don't worry, this is short term. We're going to be back in Jerusalem before you know it. Don't just hold on. We're going to be back. They were telling the people what they wanted to hear. Don't we all want to hear that? It'll go back to normal in two weeks. Don't worry. (sighs) Jeremiah told them to be careful people only telling them what they wanted to hear and not the message of God. And we don't have to go any farther. Here's like my third Facebook reference to find people who only want to hear affirmations of what they think and they'll unfriend you if you don't agree with them. And You know, I don't need to explain it. You guys get it, right? We want God to tell us what we want to hear. God, this is what I want. I want this and I want that. I see Super Nanny coming out. You've all seen those temper trends, but I want this! Yes, but that is not for our good. We think that our dreams are what's going to make us happy. The grass is always greener somewhere else because they water and you let yours die. That's the song I sung growing up. The grass is greener on the other side. Sometimes it's greener in the past. I'm really familiar with that one. It looks greener, but we're from a distance. Dear church, I think we've experienced a communal trauma. We've been thrown into a time of upheaval. We've left behind the familiar. We're figuring out something new. We've grieved. We've lost loved ones along the way. If we heed Jeremiah... There is guidance for us today. So let's look again at those three. One, God tells us to participate in life. Plant, build, start new relationships, increase. Two, God tells us to seek peace and pray for our community so it will go well for us. And three, God tells us to watch out that we are not deceived by every message that's spoken and by people who just tell us what we want to hear. And right after Jeremiah speaks these words, he continues in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. 
and you'll call upon me and go and pray to me and I'll listen to you and you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. I love how this ends in this section. I can hear Super Nanny encouraging parents to communicate their love to their kids before discipline, during discipline, after discipline. Isn't that God's heart? To tell us, I'm doing this because I love you. In the middle of it, I love you. When you come out the other end, I love you. Our Heavenly Father is a good parent. And in spite of this exile that his people find him in, find themselves in, God has good thoughts towards his people. He invites us to seek him, to find him. He has not abandoned us. He has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. And although he has every right to crush us, he chooses mercy and hope. So this one, give a minute. Holy Spirit, would you bring out from the message today something for each one of us that stirs within us to know that it's from you. For Lord, you are faithful. You are a good parent. You are looking out for our welfare even when we require discipline. Thank you for loving us in the midst of our brokenness. You never leave us, nor forsake us. You are always working for our restoration and benefit. Lord, minister to the hearts here today who need to rid their mind and heart of the toxins of fear and anguish and grief. Holy Spirit, come and fall on us afresh, we pray. And join me up in the front and Rachel and Donna and Kristen. And I just want to invite you, if something is moving within you, that's something you need to lay down. These are our prayer partners. And uh, if you come up, they'll actually pray for you. You guys can spread out over here. I know that's kind of weird, but... So if you would like prayer just for someone to come in agreement with you about what God is saying to you, um, I'm going to play a song and take a minute to like do that. Um, friends, take this opportunity. It is a privilege and an honor to pray for one another. And if you're holding back because you think, I don't want, I don't know what people will think. Do you really care? after this year. Do you really care? <laughs> like this is the, the easiest thing in the safety net here. We all love you. We want it. We're towards your good. Right? We're behind you every step of the way. So I'm just going to invite you for a minute. Go ahead and come up. Um, whoever you feel lean, leaning towards. They won't take it personally. It's not a favoritism contest. Um, yeah, so let's do that.